Glad to see you here today. We will be speaking of death and the life to come in the next couple of weeks. This week focusing on the resurrection and what will happen to our bodies in the future. Next week focusing on what happens to our souls when we die. Talking about what it can be called the intermediate heaven. And we will go into detail with that next week. And as we do this, we uh, would do well to remember the passing of some of the Lord's saints. This week, Charles Stanley passed away at 90 years old. And uh, um, I'm totally going to forget his name now that I'm up here. Ron Hamilton. Ron Hamilton, thank you. He passed away this week too. The author of so many hymns that we love to sing around here. Uh, I Stand Redeemed, We Are His Church. He wrote those hymns. And so he passed away this week also. We want to have their families in mind as we consider what we're reading in Scripture and, and when we pray. So let's go ahead and uh, pray together, and then I'll get into 2 Corinthians four sixteen. Father, we thank you for this day that you have made. We rejoice and we are glad in it. We are the sheep of your pasture, we are the work of your hands, and you have seen fit by your grace in Christ to redeem those of us who believe. And Lord, we ask that today you would work in our hearts and our minds, help us to grasp more of an eternal perspective, as this is just so critical to who we are as your people, how it is that you've made us, that we would look at life through the lens of eternity based on what you revealed to us. Help us to gain more maturity in that area. And we ask for your help in that as we study this morning. And we ask together, too, that though I am a fallen man, that I would not get in the way of your word this morning, but that your word would be made clear to your people. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it can be very... uh, dissatisfying to rent. And there are some of you who have just responded audibly who know, uh, <laughs> who know what that feels like because you're living it right now. But it can be very dissatisfying to rent, especially when your options are limited and you don't have many places that you could actually go. Perhaps you can imagine a scenario where, for a short time, you would be forced to rent a tent, and you would have to live nomadically, whether that's somewhere in a third world country or in some of our big cities today that are beginning to look like third world countries. Uh, Perhaps you can imagine what that would be like. There would be constant discontent in your life. And you would just long for, constantly, a permanent place to call your own, a house, some place with your name on it that is yours. Well, we're going to be looking this week and next week here in 2 Corinthians, the end of 4 into chapter 5, that speaks of our human bodies as rentals, tents, uh, limited time living in this particular body as we march our way toward a permanent housing, a permanent housing from God that He gives us by His grace. 
But before we get into that specific illustration that we get in chapter 5, let's look at verses 14 to 16 of the end of 4. I didn't quite finish my sermon last week, so I got to do that first. And let's, uh, let's remind ourselves of what it says. 2 Corinthians 4, starting at verse 16. Paul writes, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Well, we learn here in this passage that the Christian has two types of people. An outer man or woman, and an inner man or woman. Each of us has an outer and an inner. And in this passage, Paul makes clear that the Christian's outer man decays. The trajectory of the outer man is downward. This, of course, is speaking of our physical bodies, a temporary tent, if you will, that we're living in during this life that is unstable, that is subject to the elements that will eventually one day be torn down. And for Christians, I mentioned this last week, but I want to dwell on this for a moment. For Christians, it is only the outer man that decays. It is not the inner man. For the Christian, we only have one that is decaying, and it's the outer. But there's an important distinction here between believers and unbelievers, because the unbeliever, too, has an outer and an inner, but both are decaying. Both are subject to corruption. Both are subject to rot. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 3, Paul writes this about some unbelievers as he communicates to this young pastor. He says, If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. But he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. You'll see there in verse 5 we have that word depraved. That's the same word that we have here in 2 Corinthians 4.16 in reference to decay. For the unbeliever, there's a decaying happening in the unseen realm of his inner man, in his mind, in his heart. He's decaying. He's wasting away, not just outwardly, but the outwardly is a picture of what's happening inwardly. Yet for the believer, for those of you here this morning who have been redeemed by the grace of God, who have been born again, made new in Jesus Christ, it is only your flesh that decays. It's only your physical, your body that decays. And it does, doesn't it? Day by day, it goes downward in trajectory. But your inward man is being renewed. Paul says here in this passage that our flesh, our body, suffers momentary light affliction. And as I mentioned last week, we can downplay earth's hardships in this life when we have this perspective, this eternal perspective, that the afflictions that our bodies go through in this life, the harm, the suffering, the pain, the turmoil, it's momentary, it's light compared to the eternal weight of glory 
that rests in our future. When we're consumed by earthly burdens, we're actually distracting ourselves from what's most important, the eternal. Look at verse 18 with me again. When we're looking outward at God's program for us, God's redemptive plan, we are not looking at the things which are seen, Paul says, but we're looking at the things that are not seen. The temporal things of this world, the things that are subject to time and decay, like your body, they can so often be a distraction from what God wants us to see. Now, we are to be involved in this life in redeeming what we can. We are to perform maintenance and get things back into good shape. We are to reflect God in our creativity, working with the physical earth. All of that is true. You're to be a good steward of your body. Don't ignore your body. That is true. However, we all know there's a line that can be crossed, isn't there? And you can be absolutely, totally consumed with the things of this world that distract us from what is most important. And this actually leads us to a rule of life. If you go through life without an eternal perspective, that is a guarantee for immaturity. Do you just want to be absolutely guaranteed that you will never mature in the faith? will never acquire an eternal perspective. Be consumed by the things of this life. But Paul says here that affliction, this momentary light affliction, it has a role to play in that it brings about some maturity. In trial, what God is doing is helping us focus again, isn't He? God uses suffering and pain in our lives to reorient our hearts, to shape our outlook. And in all of that, He grows our faith. Remember Hebrews 11, verse 1. Faith gets a definition there. Faith is the uh, assurance of things hoped for. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. Just like Paul is talking here in 2 Corinthians 4, the things that are not seen. So what happens when you go through this affliction? Well, for the Christian, if you're seeking God in your pain, if you're seeking God in your trial, He's going to touch your heart. He's going to teach you in those moments to bring your mind back to the unseen realm, to bring your mind back to His plan that is intangible for us right now. We, we can't see it. We can't touch it. But He's working in our lives now, leading us into a more glorious future. And He reminds us in affliction that this present world isn't even worth comparing to the one to come. It's maturity. He's growing us. Therefore, we should not consider our trials as the world considers their trials. Unbelievers go through trials just as believers do. But the difference is, Christians have God working in their lives in such a way that He's focusing our attention on the invisible realities that matter most. And He's deepening the faith that's already there. In Homer Kent's commentary, he wrote this, The unseen things of the spiritual life are of eternal value. The regenerated life, the continuing ministry of the Spirit, the growing comprehension of God through daily communion with Him, the promises of God for the present and the future, all of these and many more are not seen, but they are just as real as the visible objects of this world and are far more permanent. God is putting our minds back on those things when we go through struggle in the Christian life. With the eternal perspective, we see, once again, 
that our home is more glorious than the pathway there, isn't it? We're marching toward a home that is way more glorious than we could ever comprehend. And so we need to view this comparison rightly. You notice at the end of verse 17, Paul says that what is coming has an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So it's really not fair to compare the two. In Romans chapter 8, verse 18, the same apostle writes to those believers that he considers that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Your momentary light afflictions aren't valuable enough to be compared to what's to come. That requires an eternal perspective, doesn't it? Because some of your momentary light affliction hurts and it doesn't go away. Day after day, the alarm clock goes off and your feet hit the floor and there's the affliction again. Just day by day, unceasing for the Christian, you have things you're dealing with. But you have to press into this faith that God has for you, this maturity that God has for you, that your groaning, your ugh noises that you make for whatever reasons throughout the day. Those things that just that make you... Feel it deep down in your bowels, the things that make you cry at night, the reasons why, like the psalmist says, his bed is soaked with tears. Those things are not worth even comparing to what is to come. Because what God has for us is so much more grand. It's a world without sin. It's a world without suffering. And the mature Christian, the faithful Christian, can make that distinction. And we should all make it our aim to grow in that direction. Because through these trials, not only are you suffering, but even now God is renewing your inner man. So just as the Christian's outer man decays, the Christian's inner man renews. This has to do with our intangible souls. We are, after all, new creations. We get that in the next chapter, 517 of 2 Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Not your hair, not your skin, not your nails, not your organs but your soul. Your soul is a new creation, and even now God is working in your life in such a way to renew you. You could say that your soul, as a Christian, your soul is being renovated by God. Your soul is being invigorated. Your soul is being redesigned, rebuilt, restructured. In Romans 8, 29, you'll notice me quoting Romans 8 a lot this morning. These are sister chapters in the Bible. In Romans 8, 29, God tells us that those whom He foreknew he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. God's saving of you was to make you Christ-like. This will ultimately be fulfilled. It'll be culminated in history when you rise from the dead with a glorified body and you'll be like Christ in the likeness of his resurrection. But even now, we have this encouragement to have the mind of Christ, don't we? And not only that, but Scripture says, have the mind of Christ, which is yours. You have it. God's given it to you. And so day by day, your soul is being renewed with the mind of Christ. In Romans 12, 2, we actually get a command. Do not be conformed to this world, right? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Same word, renewal. You are to be renewed in your mind day by day as you grow in godliness. In Colossians chapter 3, Starting in verse 9, again, the Apostle Paul writing to the believers there saying, Do not lie to one another, 
since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices but, and have put on the new self who is being renewed. There's our word, same word. And look at what we're being renewed to. Renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. What an amazing work the church is, isn't it? We're one new man in Christ, where there is no advantage to your ethnicity, there is no advantage to your status in life. You all come together as one body, accessing the mind of Christ and being renewed, the image of God in you that you have, even as an unbeliever, you have the image of God. That's why we care about every human life. But that image is being renewed in Jesus Christ. When you become a believer and you are in the church of God, you're being transformed, conformed to Jesus Christ day by day. And notice that is the language Paul uses in verse 16. He says this happens day by day. It's a daily thing. You are not just renewed on Sundays. You are not just renewed when you have a spiritual high, when you go have a spiritual mountaintop experience for you children, when you go to camp and you have a great experience at camp and all you can think about, all you can talk about is Jesus. That's great, but that's not the only time that God is working in your life. As a Christian, God renews us day by day. He's always working. In Romans 8, verse 11, Paul says this about the Holy Spirit. That if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. You, like, constantly have connection to the power of God. You constantly are empowered by, are are given life by God Himself through the Holy Spirit. Day by day, it's a daily ministry of God the Spirit. And if He's working in this way daily, we must join Him in this daily, shouldn't we? That's not to say that we just like jump up and the wind carries us along through life. But we are to join Him in this work as He is bringing to our hearts, bringing to our minds thoughts of conviction. He's bringing about fruit. He's moving us. He's leading us. And it's a battle. Look at verse 18 with me again in our passage today. We are commissioned to look not at the things which are seen. How do you do that? Stare at the invisible. How do you do such a thing? It is a very difficult battle. It's it's as difficult to understand how this could work as it is to live it out. There's great irony in what Paul is saying, but he's making an amazing point. He is saying, live for eternity. Because your eternity, future, is intangible. You can read about it. You can understand what God has revealed about it. But you're not there yet. It's invisible to you. You can't touch it. You can't taste it. You can't smell it. And so you are to look forward to what God has said is going to happen. Hanging on, clinging to every word from God by faith. And look at those things. Look at what God has said will happen. And what it does is it puts this world, this world, this life that you're given into perspective. All of a sudden, the pain and the suffering of this world, it grows strangely dim, as the hymn says. 
The things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Jonathan Edwards had many quotable statements, but I want to share this one with you this morning. He, he stated, where, where will all our worldly enjoyments be when we are laid in the silent grave? There's a great question to ask yourself. Where will all our worldly enjoyments be when we are laid in the silent grave? And then he said that he is resolved to live as he should wish he had done when he comes to die. How's that for a resolution? I know it's not January 1st. It's April something. But you can still make a resolution. He was resolved, he said, quote, to live as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. Resolved to live as I shall wish I had done 10,000 ages hence. And then he says, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. Have you been asking for the eyes of your heart to be enlightened with an eternal perspective? That's a good prayer. That's a good prayer to maybe start praying daily or hourly that God would give you eternal perspective because this is Christian maturity, living for eternity, rightly prioritizing your life in light of eternity, rightly investing in certain things in light of eternity, in light of what God said He's doing in you. And you are able to live this way. You can be motivated to live this way because we have a certainty about what is to come. This is so important. Look where Paul's logic goes. He gives us these three verses at the end of chapter 4. And look at where he goes in chapter 5. He says, For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now He who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Paul says in verse 1, we know, for we know. Well, what does he know? He knows that there's another body coming. He knows that this life, this body that you have for living this life, that's not it. This isn't the end. This isn't the end-all, be-all of life, but there is more to come. Just as he said back in chapter 4, verse 14, that Jesus was raised from the dead, he says he knows that he is going to get a new body, that there's another body coming. And I want us to dwell on these descriptions that he gives us for the rest of our time here this morning to think about this body that is in our future as Christians. He says that we have a building from God. This new body can be rightly called a building from God or a dwelling from heaven. The big idea is that God will provide for us an indestructible body. God will provide for us a permanent body, some permanent housing that will be in another realm. It will not be subject to the sinful world that we live in now. And it is from Him. It's from the heavenly realm. Notice that it says in verse 2 that the heavenly realm is the source of this body, not the fallen earth. This is God's power in creating for us a new body. 
a resurrected body, this body, but it will be totally, absolutely redone. The flesh itself will be born again. And this is because of God's work. We know that, of course, God is involved now. God knits people together in their mother's womb. We don't know mechanically how all that works. If you want, like, an owner's manual about how that works, uh, I, we don't have one, okay? But he's involved. We know that. Yet later, this new body, there will be no middleman. We'll cut out all the middlemen. He is going to give to his people resurrected bodies all at once. We will be changed. Even in the twinkling of an eye, we will be transformed to this new body, not made with hands, the passage says, that will be totally God's work, meaning the purest human existence we could ever have. A human existence that we haven't had yet. Because from conception, we have been affected from within and from without by sin itself. And so this will be a new, totally pure existence. It will be a heavenly body free from all effects of the fall because there are no creatures involved in its formation. Therefore, it will also be eternal. You see that too in verse 1, that this body will be eternal. This body is prepared by the transcendent creator alone, the true eternal one. Therefore, these bodies will have everlasting durability. These houses from God will never be destroyed. They can't be dismantled like our current bodies. These tents that we're renting, <laughs> these tents that we have for just a short time before this permanent indestructible housing arrives. Now, I know that many of you like to camp. We are in Utah after all, and uh, many of you are into that sort of thing. But whenever I was a child, I had a uh, couple of experiences that permanently scarred me, okay? Uh, where I just see a tent and I walk the other way. That's just what I do. I just don't want anything to do with the tent. We would, uh, we would go on float trips quite a bit. I grew up in central Missouri, all kinds of rivers and lakes. And uh, we would go to the Niangua River, it's the name of it. And we'd go floating down there in canoes and rafts and whatnot. And I don't know if it was three times. It feels like three times, but it was at least two. And they were the last two or three times that we did it. In the middle of the night, in our tent, pops up one of these Midwest thunderstorms. Wind, rain, lightning, thunder, the whole shooting match, there it was. And tents leaking, we're awake, there's no going back to sleep, it's just ruined. And in the middle of the night, in the rain, you're putting the poles back together and you're trying to shove it all and you're just, you're done. You're getting in the truck and you're going home. I don't want anything to do with camping. Okay? I'm done with the tent. Okay? My camping is at the Best Western. That's the best camping that there is. So I think it's really an appropriate illustration that Paul uses, these tents. And by the way, Paul was what? He was a tent maker. He knew what tents were like, didn't he? When he says, we have this tent that can be torn down, it can be destroyed. Paul all the time was setting up tents and tearing them down. To a Jewish audience, they're very familiar with tents. They had the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Tents or Booths, where year by year to celebrate this, they'd go out in the wilderness and they'd camp in tents. The very tabernacle itself was a tent that could be taken down or put back up. And it was just a foreshadowing of the permanent temple that was to come and ultimately the millennial temple that's coming, which will be permanent. And so we have this body that God has given us as just this tent that's subject to the wind and the rain and the lightning and everything else. And, and you know this, you're suffering the effects of it in one way or the other. You've got problems with your joints. You've got problems with, you know, your hair. You've got problems with your heart. You've got problems with everything. 
Because that's the trajectory that we're on in the fallen world. Yet it's just a tent. By contrast, God is giving us a solid, fortified, permanent housing for our souls. Our spirits are going to inhabit a new, more permanent dwelling from God Himself. It's the body that we will experience eternity with. Maybe you haven't thought much about this, but you will not be a cartoon baby in eternity. You will have this body redone. You will have a new body that God makes new, and you will inhabit eternity preserved whole throughout eternity future into the new heaven and new earth. And you will enjoy exploring all sorts of amazing realities about God for, from that point on. And the great news about all this is that this is a certain future. Again, Paul says there in verse 1, we know this. It's a certain future that's unaffected by what happens to our earthly tent. It does not matter what happens to your body in this life, you will get a new body made by God. Some people have to think through this and have to wonder what happens to the bodies of those who died in perhaps some gruesome ways. Their tents were dismantled in a way that was very disturbing. We have the promise that God's going to give us the perfect new house in the future. It does not matter what happens to this earthly body. You will, if you're a Christian, you will get a new body that you will inhabit eternity with that will be whole, it will be perfect, it will be complete. God will be sure of it. God's the maker, and He won't make any mistakes. Notice again in verse 1, not only does Paul say we know this, but he says we have this. Did you catch it? We have a building from God, present tense. How sure of a deal is this in Paul's mind? It's a done deal. We have this promise from God. We have a new body that God is going to give. We have an inheritance with our name on it. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, that apostle said this about the surety of our inheritance. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to His great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance, this is really important, catch this, we're obtaining an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. What an amazing verse. And then verse 5, who are protected, that's us, protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I think it was sure for Peter, wasn't it? There's an inheritance reserved for you, your name on it, imperishable, undefiled. You will receive your inheritance. It was sure for Paul as well. We have this certainty. To use the language of verse 4, chapter 5, verse 4 here of 2 Corinthians, our, our immortal clothing will arrive. This, this clothing that we will put on, it will show up. God will make this happen. Because Christ has been raised from the dead, so too we will be raised from the dead. That's his whole argument in 1 Corinthians 15. Christ has been raised, so you're not in your sins anymore. And you have the promise of resurrection because you are in Christ. Jesus himself spoke of the resurrection of his own body and knowing that we'll have a resurrection like his, we can apply some of this to ourselves. In Mark chapter 14, verse 58, Jesus was reported to say by those around, we heard him say, 
I will destroy this temple made with hands, and in three days I will build another made without hands. Jesus speaks of his resurrection body as a temple and a temple made without hands. And in the same way, we in this earthly temple will experience a change to receive the temple made without hands. What an amazing future. What an amazing hope we have as Christians. But I do think it's important that I pause here before I finish and just make a note that this is a hope for Christians. This is an assurance for Christians. This isn't a hope and assurance that's for everybody. Now, all people will undergo a resurrection in Daniel chapter 12 and John chapter 5. We are told that there will be a resurrection of both the good and the evil. That will happen. But to have a resurrection in Christ, that's only possible for those who are in Christ. To have a resurrection in the future in Christ, it's only possible if now you are found in Christ. Because it's appointed for man once to die. And then comes the judgment, Hebrews 9.27 says. So this life, although it is just a vapor, and although we shouldn't get distracted by the things of this life from the eternal things, this life does have a lot to do with your eternity, doesn't it? Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That applies to your body. So we have to present the gospel here and, and consider, is this our hope? The gospel is that even though we are sinners separated from God, even though that we are sinners deserving of judgment because of our sin, we have to own it, our sin. Because we have rebelled against our Creator, even though we are in that state, God Himself, God the Son, came to this earth to be born of a woman, to live a life in the flesh, the only perfect life that's ever been lived. And He was obedient all the way to death, even to death on a cross. And He was put to death wrongly because He was the spotless Lamb of God. He had no sin on His account. He was pure and spotless thoroughly from the heart, totally, completely. And yet He died as a substitute for you and me. He died in our place for our sins, suffering the punishment we deserved, paying the penalty we owed, the fine that we owed, the price of our life. He paid for us in our stead. But death could not keep Him. And three days later, He rose from the dead, proving that He is who He said He was. And He's offering the message of salvation. He's, he's giving the message of hope to all who believe. He doesn't give us an index card that has listed out the steps to go through so that we can obtain resurrection. But he says to those who believe that we have God, we have Him, and if we've seen Him, we've seen the Father, and we're restored, we're reconciled once for all. And no matter what happens in this life from this point forward, no one can reverse what God has done in your heart if you have truly believed. No one can take away your assurance. No one can take away your hope. But you will always be with the Lord. That's the promise for Christians. And so when we think about resurrection in this new body, we have to recognize the assurance, the hope, the glorious future, that's for the Christian. And for everyone else, they will face the judgment of God they rightly deserve. They have no substitute. They will face their maker on judgment day, and the sentence will be death. There will be an eternal lake of fire that never ceases to burn. And that's God's holy justice on display. If there was no justice, God wouldn't be good. Therefore, we must appeal to Him today because after death comes that judgment. 
There is no second chance. God has given us this life to consider these things. And for the Christian, there is no reason to fear death because we know for certain, chapter 5, verse 1, that we have a building from God. Amen? Well, I'm not done. So we are in this earthly tent. We continue on in this earthly tent. And as Christians, we yearn. Look at verse 2 with me again. In verse 2, it says, We groan. As we are in this tent of the earth, we groan. And we're yearning for the heavenly house that we will put on. Now, Paul is mixing his metaphors here, as he's fond of doing, if you've read much of Paul. He'll bring up one illustration and then throw another illustration into the mix. And so we're putting on a house all of a sudden. But, uh, but you can understand the point that we have a new, uh, a new house that we are going to put on like clothing, this new body, and we yearn for that time. And we yearn for it because when we become Christians, we enter into a life of struggle. When we become Christians, we enter into this existence where there's a war between the flesh and our spirits. There's a war between the outer man, which decays day by day, and the inner man, which renews day by day. It's a never-ceasing struggle in this life. Our souls are knit to God, but our current bodies don't really cooperate that well, do they? You can talk to some people who used to be like world-class runners. People used to, they would go out and they would just run miles and miles at a time, and they can run, run just like it was nothing. It was a high for them, right? They actually enjoyed it, those sick people, and they, they found it to be just this great thing. And then as they get old, they're lying there, they're looking at their legs, and the legs just don't cooperate anymore. But they still have runner's hearts, don't they? They remember that high. And inside, they want to go back, they want to do it, but there's this struggle because the body doesn't cooperate. This is the same thing that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7. For what I will to do, I don't do. And the thing I don't want to do, I keep on doing. It's sin in my flesh. He's still in this body of death. And he concludes by saying, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he praises God that he has the victory in Christ. One day, he will be delivered from that body of death, just like those of us who believe. But now, we must continue to deal with sin in our own hearts and sin that affects us from the outside. Our spirits are willing, but our flesh is weak, isn't it? Extremely weak. And we're always living in this struggle. I want to share with you from our own doctrinal statement, Orchard Hills Bible Church doctrinal statement, about the nature of the Christian struggle. We say, we believe that every saved person is a new creation with provision made for victory over sin through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Great. Very next sentence. The sin that is present in us is not eradicated in this life. Oh! The first sentence is so full of hope. The first sentence is just so like, yes, victory. It has the word victory. We can do this. And the very next sentence assures us that the sin that is present in us is not eradicated in this life. Another way of putting this, it's from the IFCA's doctrinal statement, an organization I'm a part of. They put it this way, we believe that every saved person possesses two natures with provision made for victory of the new nature over the old nature through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit and that all claims to the eradication of the old nature in this life are unscriptural. You have provision in this life 
every sin that you face, there is provision made for victory. But you're still going to sin. And in this life, that sin that dwells in your flesh, that nature that you were born with, it's not fully eradicated, is it? You do not reach sinless perfection in this life. But God will grant it to you in the next life with this resurrection body. We've been born again, but we're not yet glorified. Our salvation, our eternal life has been inaugurated, but it hasn't been fulfilled. We are new creations, but we're not yet resurrected. See, see the paradox here? You see the struggle, how you're caught in between? And that just goes on through this life as we long for a sin-free existence and glory. And so Paul says in verse 4, we're burdened. We groan in this tent being burdened. We're left to live in this tension. We're groaning with a desire. And by the way, we're groaning with all creation, as Romans 8 says. All creation groans together. We are a part of creation and we're groaning for this new world. And we're wasting away on the outside here on earth while we're being renewed inwardly by God in heaven. It's an amazing tension that we just have to live in. That God is doing a work in here and you're unable to see it fulfilled before you. But one day it will be. We know that one day this tent that doesn't cooperate, this tent that has so many weaknesses, it will be replaced by a body that will fully cooperate. You will have a perfect nature in the future. You will be resurrected to sin no more, all for the glory of God. You will continue to be a creature, there's no doubt about that, under the Creator's sovereign power, but you will never sin, and you will live a perfect existence in His presence. This passage goes on to explain what that will look like, Next week we'll get into this in more detail, but the passage explains there's going to be this state after we die that's an intermediate state where we will be spirits without our bodies and we'll be found naked. That's the way he describes it there. And again, next week we'll describe that more. But after that experience in heaven, there will be a resurrection and our souls will be knit back to our bodies once again. There will be a great kingdom where Jesus reigns supreme and there's no doubt about it on the face of the earth. And there will be a new earth that we will live in in our resurrected bodies. So now, with knowing all of that is coming as God has revealed it to us, we should feel the weight of this fallen creation as we long for more. If you're a Christian and you don't feel the weight of the fallen world around you, you, you need to grow up. It's a sign of immaturity. If you claim the name of Christ today and you don't want to depart with this world. It's time to grow up. This world is going to waste away. You have to look to God, your maker. You have to look to the person of Jesus Christ, your redeemer, your king. And you have to see that in the future, there awaits much more than this. That what's in the future is not even worth being compared to right now. By faith, it's a decision you have to make. It's a battle. By faith, you have to keep looking to the author, the perfecter of your faith, who's bringing you through this life filled with toils and snares. But one of these days, it'll be 10,000 years in the future, 
And this life will be really put in perspective, won't it? It'll be just a vapor. You have the mind of Christ today. You have eternal perspective today, Christian. You can grab onto it today. Let's press forward in the faith. More I wanted to say, but some Bibles are closed. And so I'm gonna, I'll pick it up next week, okay? <laughs> I'll pick it up next week. Uh, and we'll talk about the Holy Spirit and we'll talk about heaven next week, okay? All right, let's pray. God, you are so good. And we love you because of your love toward us first that was displayed in Jesus Christ. And Father, we ask that day by day we would grow in our faith, that we would grow in conformity to him, that we would be drawn nearer to you, and that we would have a, a better outlook on life that considers things properly, not rejecting the stewardship of this world, but putting it in its proper place and understanding the eternal perspective that you've given us in Jesus. Help us to grow this way, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.